0: Uh, Why was I about to say And Justice For All Death Magnetic You clicked on this video For some Death Magnetic And so The ninth studio album from Heavy Metal Legends uh, Metallica And so uh, What what I'm about to say Is this podcast is mainly uh, My personal thoughts Feelings My opinions About an album And none of this is Professional. I'm not going to give, like... I would sometimes give in these podcast reviews, like, a 1 out of 10 score, you know. Uh, but usually, I'm not going to do that, you know. I don't want this podcast to be like, this is, this riff is dumb, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if a riff is bland, it's going to be bland. Um, it's subjective, I understand that, but, like, this is just... To get everything out of the way for the first review of this podcast. So uh, to begin with this review, uh, with my history of the album, it it was basically around when I think I already finished listening to Load and Reload. I think I already listened to Saint Anger. So my curiosity uh, peaked at that point for the latter half of their album cycles. For the latter half of their albums, basically, and it, I was really intrigued. It, this this album was always hyped up as being this sort of back to their roots album, and uh, it definitely delivered. Definitely fucking delivered. Uh, I remember when I listened to the album on on I, I think YouTube, and I was like, mm, this is. This is damn good. Uh, even uh, as like, I think I listened to it when I was 16 or 17. Basically, they made it after St. Anger. If anyone has ever listened to that. Yeah, uh, it's probably the most controversial album. Not going to go in a tangent. But let's just say a review is well due for that album. And I'm not. Here's a heads up. If I make that. If I make that podcast, I have some hot takes. I have some usually unpopular opinions about that album. Just saying. And so, uh, to begin with Dead Magnetic, actually. Basically, the album was made in returning into their own style. Into the the style that they made uh, back in the 80s. And so, uh, they've gone back to thrash. They've gone back to thrash metal. And basically, they started to incorporate more, more of their old sound, the more of, of their complicated melodies and the more complicated songwriting into their, uh, into this album. It was previously was Sane Anger, uh, Load and Reload, which um, we'll obviously get their own reviews. But um, basically, to start off, we have to understand that for this album. To get out of the way, the sound problem to this album, I do get it. I get that many people do not like the sound off of this album. Um, it is it is blah blah blah. It's horrible. It's this and that. It's too loud. La- the loudness wars uh, are terrible. But um, putting that aside, putting everything aside, this is a damn good album. Like. Okay, I understand when it came out, people blew it up as this critically acclaimed album. It skyrocketed everybody back to Metallica after when St. Anger came out. I'm, I'm pretty sure, here's the weird thing about St. Anger. I know I, I told myself not to go on a tangent, but goddamn, that album is just so more intriguing. Uh, uh, this album too well, is intriguing, but like, St. Anger... I'm pretty sure some people thought of it as a return to form but in a in a non in a, in a way where of course people didn't want a return like that, but more return to heavy, more return to fast. and so this album was basically in I think it was let me see let me see right here on the old Wikipedia. This album was released September 12, thousand eight, through Warner Bros. Records. Warner Bros. Records. The album was produced infamously by Rick Rubin. Uh, if anybody knows Rick Rubin, he, people know from people know him uh, for Slayer, System of Down, the Beastie Boys, and you know, highly acclaimed producer. And so. Um, many people, uh, many people target Rick Rubin as the guy that, oh, he was the one to affect the loudness of the album. And that's the weird part. The loudness of the album, the loudness of the album, I feel like it's one of those things where you have to think to yourself, were they mastering it? Because we, this is already in the late 2000s where people are starting to go more for streaming. And, you know, the more streaming you know, devices in terms of streaming, you know, cheap earbuds, cheap stereo, you know, anything you can find at Walmart, any cheap stereo. I don't know if they were thinking, okay, so the market has been, the market has been basically, we have to aim for the lowest common denominator which in terms of marketing for a popular band that's probably the, the you know you have to get with the times I know it doesn't produce a great sound but the thing is even Metallica mostly Lars mostly Lars um uh, he was fine with the sound of the album I don't know if they ever returned, or like I don't know if it's like a St. Young or Snare kind of thing where they returned to the album and said "Mm, maybe this wasn't that great of an idea but um it was mostly the case of the album being a little bit too loud and the songs being too long which in my opinion the only long song is in my opinion is suicide and redemption I think it should have been at least 1 minute shorter in my opinion that was it everything else I feel like if you take like a minute out of each song every uh, except you know uh everything else except suicide and redemption I feel like you just can't take it out I don't know something about like this there's like, like there's like this thing with Iron Maiden And to Metallica. And even like to an extent Megadeth in some songs. Where they just riff riff. And sure they use the same riff. And some would say repetitive. You know. Sometimes I kind of get into this groove. Where I feel like. Yeah I'm just grooving onto this this song. It's like groove metal. But it's like this riff. It's just so repeatable. And you know. If it it just grooves on, and I feel like, yeah, it 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 kind of works for a long song. Of course, they don't need to have a long song. Um, and once I went to once I listened to Suicide and Redemption for like I think the second or third time when I listened to the album, I thought to myself, this song is killer, but like, yeah, you could have just. Chop down at least a minute, and you have been done. That that's pretty much it. Uh, for most people, for most people's complaints about the album, from what I see on the internet, is and here's the thing: uh, the complaints that people have been making over the course of several years, several years, and this is my argument. I think the arguments uh, on this album. Have garnered so much attention to the point where the popular opinion is this album isn't great. And I think the reason why I started, I wanted to make a podcast video out of this, out of this album, is I feel like it's the one album where people kind of forget about this album. People kind of forget that metal. Well, Metallica fans obviously, obviously won't forget, but for the most part for the people who are semi into Metallica, they will at least know Master of Puppets. They will at least know the Black Album, you know. The the OG 80s albums, obviously. And they probably know Hardwired. Uh, they probably are familiar with Low and Reload and St. Anger. But I feel like for, for the most part, Death Nick kinda kinda gets shelved just a bit to the point where it... it its opinions are kind of low. Like its good opinions uh, are outweighed by the negative opinions. And in my, in my book, it's like this is a this is at least a good album, you know. And one of the main things about it is like when whenever Metallica makes a new album, you know straight away after and Just for All, Black Album, no, after uh, the after and just for All, anything after that album, people just compare it to, like, the 80s albums, and honestly, I'm kind of sick of that mentality, because I'm not going on a tangent, this is a Death Magnetic uh, album review, but, like, this, it kind of connects to it. Um, You know, some people will will say, well, Death Magnetic is kind of as good as the 80s albums, and I say, yeah. I mean, yeah, in my opinion, it's it has the feeling of at least and Justice For All along with the Black album. That's my feeling about it. It's at least as good as and Justice For All. And oh boy, once I, I say one of my top five Metallic albums, people are going to be pissed that I ever said anything on video form or podcast form. But, like, it really, because when you think about it, and Justice For All is a long album. It's around the 60 mark. And for Death Magnetic, it's past that. It's past the 60 mark. I think it's around 70, 74, 77 minutes long. And, like, I don't know. Because Metallica always had long songs. And I'm going to see right here on that oh wiki. Um, a lot of the songs are around 7, 6, you know, I think the longest song on here is, of course, uh, Suicide and Redemption, the, the instrumental, uh, around 9 minutes and 58 seconds, total the, the album clocks in at 74 minutes and 46 seconds. I, I always thought that Metallica always had long songs. And Justice for All has long songs. Some people will argue that, yeah, there are changes in the songs. And so does Death Magnetic. Death Magnetic has a lot of changes in the riffs and solos. And, you know, James is singing. Here's the thing. I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, where people criticize James Hetfield singing, he sounds like he de-aged. He sounds like he de-aged. Like, it's almost has, like, this sort of... This ride the lightning meets um black album James, and I don't know it sounds fresh, refreshing compared to like Saint Anger where it's more raw obviously. Uh, if we're just taking James Edfield into into account in in only the vocals, he sounds way more gruffer in Saint Anger, which honestly that's sneak peek. I kind of like the rawness of that album, uh, but. I I still like the vocals on St. Anger, um, but Death Magnet is definitely the return of uh, Metallica being refreshed after a while. Being refreshed after a while, I I should say. And um, another thing is, um, this album, it it has this feeling of like, I don't know, it... so the writing, people also criticize the writing on the album, the lyrics. I, I don't know. It feels like they were at a point where they were going to make an album where it's, it, this sounds almost theatrical. When, when you get to the lyrics, it almost sounds theatrical. You know, the, you know the cover art is, you know, this coffin. It's a bunch of like mail shavings formed into this co- into this coffin. And it it some people pointed out uh, that it has a bit more of an emo vibe, which is like, come on, dude, emo's kind of good, come on. And so the vibe that I get from the album is like, it sounds like the closest thing. I don't know. I might be stretching it a little bit. This might be a little bit of a stretch, but like. This album kind of feels a little bit like a concept album. When you read the lyrics, it's like, uh, you know, as in layman's terms, kind of like you know it's about death, you know, cyanide, you know the, the song cyanide, I have already died. I hope that's the lyrics I um, but like I hope I'm not losing anyone on this because it's it's over a stretch because Metallica never really created a concept album and i don't know just something about like that was just your life the day that never comes all nightmare long suicide and redemption so especially that song suicide and redemption it feels like there's an arc of course you know when you when you listen to an album there's always an arc but this this album feels like you're going in in a on a journey that feels way more dramatic, way more less about you know. There's some touchy feelings, touchy feely songs, but it's more of like James is writing about a person, you know, rather than you know, uh, himself, I guess. So. Uh, I'm about to get down to the writing process of the album. Uh, In early 2004, lead singer James Hetfield revealed that Metallica had been playing new material during uh, study sessions, but that there was no mention of plans for a ninth studio album at the time. Select music from the jam sessions may be used on the album, as Lars Ulrich stated. I definitely look forward to sifting through some of that stuff when we get back to the studio in January. On that note, by October 2004, the band had already compiled nearly 50 hours of preset jamming with hundreds of riffs, chord progressions, and bass lines. On September 30th, 2004, Launch Radio revealed it from an interview with James with Hetfield. Uh, that the band hoped to return to the studio to bring a to in spring of 2005 to begin recording their ninth studio album from Warner Records. Oh yeah I should also bring up that during the recording of this album, I think this is during a time when uh, the their time their stint with electro records have kind of waned by this point so, I think they were this is before when they so if I'm correct, I think Hardwired is on their own yeah, from their own label. So I think they were just trying to to get away from Electra. So I think Saint Anger um it Saint Anger was the last album that they made that was on Electra. So they were moving on from Electra and I think the history is very interesting. I think Electra wanted them just, just to keep. I, I think they wanted to keep Metallica on on the Electra record label, but obviously, uh, obviously they weren't gonna let them. I think they had a whole entire thing in like the late '90s, uh, where they were selling, selling a lawsuit. And, um, I guess they won, because we have blackening now. The blackening label. And so, now for the recording, uh, three studios were used to produce the album. Those being Sound City Studios in Van Nuys, California, Shangri-La Studios in Malibu, California, and HQ in San Rafael, California. On January 1st, 2007, Ulrich stated in an interview with Revolver that the band would be conceiving the album much like they did the prior albums to working with ex- ex-producer Bob Rock. They would sit down, write a select number of songs, then enter the studio to record them. He also quoted Ruben by saying, Ruben didn't want them to start the recording process until every song that they, that they did were going to, to record was as close to 100% as possible. On March 5th, Ulrich re- revealed that the band had narrowed the potentials 25. 25- on March 5th, Ulrich-, Ulrich revealed that the band had narrowed a potential 25 songs down to 14 and that they would begin recording those 14 on the following week. He also expanded on Ruben's style of pr- uh, production saying, "Rick's big thing is to kind of have all these songs completely embedded in our bodies." And basically next Monday, on D-Day, just go in and execute them. So you believe the creative element of the process out of of the recording. So you go in and basically just record a bunch of songs that you know inside and outside. and Inside and upside down. And you don't have to spend too much of your energy in in recording studio creating and thinking and analyzing and doing all that stuff. His whole an- analog his own analogy is the recording process becomes more like a gig. Just going in and playing and leaving all the thinking at the door. On March 14th, the band's official website issued a statement. Metallica left the comfort of HQ this week to de- to-, to descend upon the greater Los Angeles area to begin recording the ninth studio album. This is the first time they recorded outside of the Bay Area since they spent time at One on One Studios, studios recording their self-titled album in 1990 and 1991. Which, by the way, anybody who has ever—it's just my—it's just my a little bit. I have a a bit of a pet peeve about when when someone refers to the Black Album as the self-titled album. Just something about it just kind of rubs me the wrong way, honestly. Um. Nothing personal, it's just like, I don't know. This was confirmed on July 24th, 2008 on Mission Metallica as a video surface showing the crew moving into Sound City Studios of Nirvana fame. On June 4th, Ro- Robert Trujillo revealed that the only select portion of two, song- two new songs debuted in Berlin and Tokyo respect- respectively would be featured on the album. The band hoped to have the album finished by October or November. When the album would be mixed, he predicted that they, um, he predicted the album would be out in February, February 2008. Revealed that the songs they were working with were quite long. On on February 2, 2008, SterlingSound.com re- revealed that ten, Ted Jensen from Sterling Sound Sir Why am, why can't I talk Sterling Sound Studios, that's a mouthful, will be mastering the new, the, the new record. According to Blabbermouth.net and other sources, Greg Fillerman, who have, who have served as a sound engineer, has also been tapped to mix the album. Ulrich confirmed on May 15, 2008, that Metallica recorded 11, 11 songs for Death Magnetic. Although only ten would appear on the album to the constraints of the physical medium, the eleventh song titled Shine, which was later retitled Just a Bullet Away, was a song Headfield based around a Lane Staley type, a rock and roll m- martyr magnetized by death. Okay. And so um Yeah. <laughs> that was basically uh, uh, the whole Lane Staley connection. I did not even know coming into this. Getting down to the album at hand, um, and first of all, I don't think any any of these songs. I don't think any of these songs are bad. I don't think any any of them are really bad. Um, may, again, it, it seems like this album kind of gets a bit overshadowed, just in my opinion. Um, I do actually like the cover art. It sounds, of course, it sounds different. It has, although, it sounds different. Of course, I said like you know, it's kind of like the black album mixed with and justice for all. It it doesn't have the constraints that modern thrash has, where it's supposed to have this stereotypical uh, thrash riff, you know, fast all the time along with crazy solo and fast 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 double bass and that's pretty much it for your thrash album you know I think uh, for for some people they kind of find that in like I think there's like a municipal waste album where people say like oh, this is kind of this is kind of boring uh, nothing against that uh, I do like some modern thrash but like yeah uh, they didn't they were definitely on the ball with the album again because I will say this it is underrated and of course the reason why I say that is because it's kind of it's strange because for some people well, they will say it's overrated I don't know again it seems so strange because I will never hear anybody ever like bring this album up people at least bring up uh, hard wire to self-destruct but like almost never death magnetic uh, it is a little bit hard to listen to the album because of the production, blah blah blah, but it still kind of slaps though. It still kind of slaps. And it's also kind of refreshing when you think about it. If you are super familiar with the '80s albums, and if well, for one thing, if you're the type of person that you know only sticks to the first four, then I mean. I don't know. I kind of think you're. I think you're missing out. Like I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know. Open mind. I don't know. Have an open mind uh, with music. Again, when people say this is a bad album, like I, I get it. It's a, a bit long. It is really long, actually. Uh, I don't know. I I kind of find it intriguing uh, to listen to like a long album because it's very like. It, it gets you... It is, like, the reason why listening to an album works, for my opinion. It almost yells at you to listen to the whole entire album. Because you can only have that in a long album. I, I don't know. It, it's just, like, it's such a sit-down sit album. But, like, I don't know. Something... It seems rewarding, I guess. It seems re- rewarding to know that, for me at least... Uh, Death Magnetic feels a bit like feels like it's around forty minutes, where it's a, it's actually seventy seven minutes, seventy four minutes, I should say. To so, to get this out of the way, again, another get this out of the way. I am a person that likes Kirk Hammett's wah pedals, uh, wah solos. Technically, I do like it when he uses the wah pedal. I don't necessarily agree that he kind of overuses the wah pedal, you know, because it is Metallica, it's Metallica's signature sound. It is Metallica's signature solo sound. It sounds interesting. He has a signature sound. Kirk Hammett has a signature solo style that I I always liked. You know, I like I like when Dave Mustaine does his solos. I love you know Diane Magdaro solos <clears throat> solos. Um, I just find it really entertaining. I don't know, it always just Seems a little bit, you know, kind of cool you no know? Um Again, none of these Songs I feel like are You know, I, I never look down on them Or like, oh my god Why is this on the album, but like um I'm saying A lot, but like <laughs> in, in this review Um my apocalypse is an all timer is a banger is an all timer song um it, it reminds me a lot of dire's eve like you cannot tell me it's not uh is it as good as dire's eve i kind of th- i don't know hot take here here's the thing about me with dire's eve Uh, I don't know if it's, like, the specific remaster that I have, but even if I listen to the original, it always feels like something's out of place in Dire's Eve. Like, I, I, I get that it's Metallica's most difficult riff, but I don't know, something about it, like, like, I listen to, like, Battery, I'm like, this sounds so full, and with Dire's Eve, it's like, I don't know, maybe just because of the bass is not there, something about that, but anyway... Um, anything else about the album that I could find? Uh, here we go. The album has been criticized for having compressed sound quality due to an extremely compressed dynamic range, leading to the audible distortion. Sean Michaels of The Guardian explained that this is a result of the Loudness War, an ongoing industry effort to make recordings as loud as possible. A Rolling Stone article states that, the album, that Ruben was overseeing mixes in, the Los Angeles, in Los Angeles while the band is in Europe, headlining shows and only communicating with him by conference calls. Fans have noted that these sonic problems are not present in the Guitar Hero version of the album, where the, gu- where the guitars, bass, and drums, and vocals are presented separately due to the mechanics of the game. The tracks were sent to the game's publisher prior to being compressed. As a result, fans have shared guitar hero versions of the album. Music Radar and Rolling Stone attribute a quote to the album's mastering engineer Ted Jensen, in which he claims that mixes that the mixes were already brickwalled before they arrived for mastering, and cite a petition for the fans to remix or remaster the album. Metallica and Rubin initially declined to comment, while the band's co-manager Cliff Bernstein stated that the complainers were in the minority and that response to the album had otherwise been overwhelmingly positive. positive. Ulrich later confirmed in an interview that with... Ulrich later confirmed in an interview with Blender that some creative control regarding the album's production has been transferred to Ruben but also stressed his satisfaction with the final product. In 2015, the album was re-released on iTunes with a new Master for iTunes masters, Mastering which features an improved dynamic range and lack of distortion. Digital downloads from Metallica's official website all use the Master for iTunes version. So, like, they were aware of the problem, but they didn't catch it immediately. Uh, I, I think I hit my microphone on my windscreen. Um, they caught the problem, but a little bit too late. So, commercially, uh, the album debuted at number one on, Billboard to, on the Billboard 200, selling 490,000 copies in just three days of, of availability. It is the band's fifth consecutive studio album to debut at number one, making Metallica the first band to have consecutive studio albums releases to do so. The album album marked the highest first week sales for the group since 1996's Load. According to the September 27, 2008 issue of Billboard, Death Magnetic landed at number one on the following ten charts. Billboard 200, Billboard Comprehensive Albums, Top Rock Albums, Top Top Hard Rock Albums, so on and so forth. So, like, when this album uh, was released, everybody was positive about it. In terms of, like, the more popular mainstream. Uh, but in, like, the underground art, uh, Melhead articles of, like, this is the metal article, not those mainstream pushovers. Um, this, uh, it was deemed as, like, what? We know what's, gonna, what's going on. This isn't good. What, what are y'all talking about? Uh, but I think Time has done this album a good service. Uh, again, I, I can't stress enough the production, not withstanding, but the rest of the album is killer in my opinion. Um, so I'm gonna to end this podcast. Um, I'm gonna be talking about my track by track. So uh, so that was just your life. I wrote down that it starts with a heartbeat, grand opening, thrash all the way. Some nice crunch on the riffs, blazing fast Kirk Hammett solo, great opener, fast trem- tremolo riffing near the end, and uh, fast double double bass. Song is about how so and um, I think what I wrote, what I thought, what the song was about at the time. Song is about how soldiers of war had have had a hard time going to, going to the norm. That's why I wrote. Uh, man, I wish I can read my own handwriting. And uh, yeah, uh, just going, just uh, I don't know. Some of these songs can get a bit like a little. I don't know something about something about the lyrics make make it a bit convoluted. At least for I don't know. Maybe I'm not that smart. But anyway. Uh, that's just my two cents. Maybe it was about soldiers uh, having a hard time going back to the norm. Going back to civilization. Going back to the norm. The end of the line. Another hot main riff. Another hot Kirk Hammett solo. Song is about how death will come after you. A little little slow, slow part at the near end. That's kind of cool broken beat and scarred uh, this favorite song on the album although i think right now my favorite song as much as i think it's a, a little long i don't know i think it's suicide and redemption i definitely think it's that one um love the hook uh yeah, okay so i wrote grammatical error but who cares Song is about rising up from the uh, from being broken, beat and scarred. Kirk Hammett wanted that solo, alright. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, the day that never comes. Uh, great clean vocals from James Hetfield. Loud snare. Great lyrics. Kind of fade to black and one reimagined. Great D beat uh, from Lars and Griff classic metallica League guitar a lot of distortion at the end i don't know if i was referring to uh the production at the end uh but anyway all nightmare long very eerie beginning riff all all time metallica song feels like they're they're playing in a castle feels very mystical great chorus my hand my hand feels like it hurts from all the downpicking riffs. like those riffs man. Oh my God, it, when I listen to Slayer or Megadeth or even like the fast the fast songs from Metallica, it's like I tried to try to downpick or like tremolo pick with them, but it's like how do they do it? It's so oh. And um uh, what, I, what I thought the song was about? Being uh, being hunted hunted down probably by the band, that's that's my take. Uh, cyanide, uh, beginning, uh, beginning. If what did I write? Beginning if is Morse. Beginning as a Morse code for SOS. Uh, beginning is Morse code for SOS. So I think if I remember correctly. Uh, I listened to this album uh, not too long ago but I think I remember it enough there's like a bit at the end where it sounds like it's like this SOS is SOS beat I think uh, I might be completely wrong about that uh, same solo uh, same some solo bass by Rob cool work I like that ethereal lyrics. I I actually buy the lyrics on this album a lot. The album art is literally a coffin made of metal shavings. Uh, this is all I wrote. Lyrically, kind of like *Fade to Black*. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because when you think about it, *Fade to Black* was about suicide and this in cyanide. As much as it's like very ham fisted, I mean, you can see it as almost as like a. Hand-fisted version, white knuckled hand-fisted version of Fate of Black. The Unforgiven 3. Beautiful piano chords. Very different from of- Unforgiven 1 and 2. And uh, just a heads up for that reload review. Uh, just a little tease. Um... I actually like unforgiven 2 better maybe just a hair better than the first unforgiven unforgiven 3 I like it Um, do I think it's a little bit underwritten Uh, like how everybody says not really it's still kind of killer it's still kind of killer it still comes together at least at the end it's still kind of killer is it about being a sailor or pirates great build-up not my favorite. Unforgiven, as I stated, I like the sailor theme approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the Judas Kiss, the Judas Kiss. Uh, thrash riff, floaty chorus. Uh, pretty good song, but not my favorite. I think this one. I, this one was the one where I it has to grow on me a bit. I don't know something about it made me feel like i think this is track eight so it was around the latter half of the album i have this little thing uh when it comes to like the late stage the later uh songs from an album where you get to a point where you feel is this still killing it are are, am i still listening to bangers right here and it's usually like my head is going towards the beginning uh, you know, if it's usually bangers, it's bangers, right? But, like, in the middle, there's probably, like, your singles, you know, wherever that may be. But I usually question if the latter half, that's not the last track, because I feel like last tracks are should be their own special thing, uh, is, like, the last two or three songs before the last track killer. Because that's usually when people mostly point it out as filler which I don't think it is. I think this one is actually pretty killer, pretty good. Um, I like the lyrics being about the Judas kiss. Maybe learn what it what it was about. Probably because of fatigue from the production. Yeah, I think I uh just just a side note, I think I listened to a fan remaster of this album because I don't think I I listened When I got the album on CD, I couldn't really bear to listen to it. Because it was just so all over the place. Now, uh, Suicide and Redemption. Uh, underrated instrumental. Like, it's... The the solo reminds me so much. And people will probably bitch about this. The solo reminds me so much of Dimebag Darrell's solo in Floods. It just has that ethereal like soft that great solo uh in the middle and it just builds and builds and builds and um probably an underrated solo in my opinion the James Hetfield solo and you know I I still do like that Kirk Hammett solo like you cannot take it you cannot take it out of the song you just can't man I I just love it um I kind of sound like a fanboy Look, if someone told me this this album is not that great, i would be like, "Come on. This album is is at least good." Is it long? Yes, I do get it if people say if it's long, I get it. Um So the rest that I wrote, but kind of familiar, a little bit familiar, a little bit, but it's it still has enough nuances to where it's passable. Uh again, nothing wrong if it because you're your latter half of your um, of your career, you know, not many people can say that there's still a band. I mean, Slayer quit uh, around 2016, no, 2019, and Metallica is still going on. Metallica is still running on. Uh, love the riff, leading guitar solo, uh, leading guitar solo kill was well developed, well deserved. Love the melody. So many guitar guitar solos. Um, like the drum solo. Yeah, I like the simple drum solo. Honestly, do it's kind of unique. You know. My apocalypse. Uh, this is again. This is this is why I wrote. Yes, galabrief. James getting har- uh, harsh on vocals. Titular Death Magnetic, uh, the titular Death Magnetic is said on this song. Most fastest Metallica song was exhausted from the production. I would circle Pitilis, shortest song on the album. And I wrote it in big, in big letters, All Timer, All Timer, and I circled it. So, um, yeah. Uh, that's my review. Of the album, I understand uh, that might not be everybody's favorite. It might be, it might not be my top five, but it's still up there. It is still up there as a good album. I couldn't, if nobody could say this album sucks. Uh, what maybe if they were just comparing it to the '80s albums, and if they were more familiar w- with those albums, I mean y'all y'all can have that i don't know um my two senses it's still a good album at this point in their career they just need to make a good album so i hope everybody is safe and i hope everybody has a good day peace